Welcome. I was just resting my feet. Please, do come in. Sorry it's late. I'll, I'll come back later. Uh, nonsense. Please, come in. Look around. I'm looking for something. Uh, aren't we all? Uh, we have a fine selection of various treasures. I presume you would like to see an item which can only be found here? I have a selection of spectacles here. I uh, recently acquired a few timepieces which would make you the envy of several of your friends. What's that? Um, back there, it, is that your special junk or something? <laughs> of a sort, yes. Uh, that is my cabinet of curiosities. In times past, they found their homes in all the crowned heads of Europe. I keep this one out of a sense of honor and perhaps duty. Is that a brooch? It, it looks like amber. My grandma has one like that. Ah, no, it is an arachnid, uh, but please do not touch. Is this a pen? Is it made out of ivory? I think it's illegal to sell ivory. Ah, no. This is bone, not ivory. It is an older style of pen. A family heirloom of a sort. Uh, not my family, but that of a former acquaintance of mine. Can I try it out? That would be an exceptionally bad idea. Why? It's just a dumb pen. <laughs> yes and no. Uh, please, have a seat and I will be glad to explain. I believe you will find it to be most curious. McCoy, Barton, sit down. Hi, Hi, Ed. I have a hot one for you two. With all due respect, boss. I know, McCoy, zip it. If it were up to me, I'd keep you two split up like fourth grade bullies, but my hands are tied. Hey, that's all right with me, boss. She's a crybaby. I don't recall asking for your opinion, Liz. Look, you both know George Gorcha, right? Not personally. Well, that's because he didn't want you to know him personally. Until now, he's extended an invitation for you to interview him, exclusive for the Times. He sent me a damn written invitation. Have a look. That's tomorrow. Well, that's something. But what's she got to it's do? It's addressed to both of you. I wasn't going to tell you about it. Let it pass over. But one of the owners got wind. Put his foot down. And so here. Directions are on the back. This is in Maine, boss. Are we getting mileage? Nobody says you have to go. And I have never and will never pay mileage for some fluff interview you could just do as well over the phone. It seems like a waste of everybody's time. All this literary family bull... He said literary family? When? Where? He didn't, but the owner who called me seemed to know all about it. I'm guessing Gorcha had some bees and needed a bonnet for them. I'm guessing he hasn't read McCoy's review of Winter Lightning 2, then. <laughs> Maybe he's just a professional who can take some constructive criticism without getting bent out of shape about it. You compared my writing to water torture. Unfavorably. And you think flaying alive is the more apt comparison? Well, you'll get flayed alive if I... That's if enough, you two. Now get out of here and... Fine. Remember you have a contract with the Times. If you sign on with that Gorcha character, you're in breach and don't forget it. I'll pay a nickel a word for the first 12 inches and two cents a word after. But only if you bring me usable stuff. No hero worship, Barton. All right, Regina, let's get one thing straight. You hate Gorcha. Why are you going? You heard Ed. If Gorcha wants to let us into his dumb literary family, we could be done with writing for this rag and get some real literary exposure. People who matter. People who read. 
You think he needs a pet reviewer who'll stand around saying he's plebeian and self-important without missing a boring trick of his latest overworked genre? Well, Winter Lightning 2 was boring. Gorta is a lot of things, but a good horror writer he ain't. And I have other projects. Cooking. Other projects? Yes, I'm writing a book. Hmm, isn't everybody. Did you hack out a first chapter and give up? Get properly started and then say, Oh, that floor really needs a good scrubbing. And then, oh, pity, it's late and there's no time to write. Shut up. Oh, poor Regina, the world's against her boo-hoo. Shut up. It's everybody's fault but hers that she can't write anything. Shut up. We'll take my car then. Fine. Good evening. We're from the Times. Is this Gorge's place? We have an appointment. Ah, you are expected. Enter. I shall fetch the monster. I've got it. I'm here. Sorry, folks. I was working in the back when you got here. Didn't mean to spook you. My butler has a peculiar sense of humor. Indeed. Hello. How are you? My name's George Gorsha. You're Elizabeth Barton from the Times, here for the interview. Liz is fine. And you're Regina McCoy, the book reviewer with a sharp tongue. Uh, yeah. You looked like you were afraid I was going to bite your head off. Well, no worries there. That'd be over too quick. Am I right, Liz? <laughs> yeah. Well, come in, come in. You're staying for dinner, and we'll talk after. Unless you're in too big of a hurry. No, not at all. It wouldn't be fair to rush the interview, really. I hate to be cliched, but we want to let the real you shine through. Not too much, though. <laughs> I like her. All right. I thought we'd start with a tour of the kitchen and dinner, and then we'll talk in my study. Why the kitchen? Oh, didn't you know? I do most of my work at the kitchen table, scratching away. When I'm writing, sometimes I don't get up for hours. Whole days, sometimes. So I find it prudent to write close to the fridge. This way. And here it is. Please, have a seat at my desk. At your desk, really? Well, I'm afraid it's just this kitchen table. Are these your pens? They are. I carve them myself. I always have. Are they ivory? No, animal bones. There's a story in every one. I carve a new one before every book. I keep them after they are done, as one might keep his first typewriter, or as you keep your first notebook. That's an awfully good guess. You don't type your manuscripts? I don't like to get fancy. A writer can't get overly pretentious about his work. It will make him... How do you say it, Regina? Forget he's human and go thinking himself something more? I did say that. But to be fair, Winter Lightning... 
The inspiration was getting a little rotten by then, I know. I tried to squeeze too much out of that idea, and that's my fault. Sometimes the well of imagination runs dry, and I need a fresh voice. Sometimes the family needs to take in new faces. Well, yes, but we're not really part of your literary family. All writers are part of the literary family. I do not choose my family. Fate has thrown us together in this association called literature, and we must play the parts we are given. That's almost a direct quote from Stahl, isn't it? Franklin Stahl. It was hard to lose him. As you so aptly wrote, Winter Lightning owed much to him. I think I may have come on too strong in that review. It was just such a surprise to so many people, considering how you two had feuded years before. Most people would have said you hated each other. They would have been right, too. We hated each other like brothers. We knew each other a bit too well, I'm afraid. I suppose I wanted to show him he wasn't unique. Are you unique? Maybe. Not really. I work harder than most. So, that's a no. <laughs> do I contradict myself? I suppose I do. I am vast. I contain multitudes. No one is unique. Everyone is unique. That's not much of an answer. You say he knew you well. Didn't he accuse you of plagiarism just before his death? He said you were stealing directly from Bean with the sensible man. There can't be truth to that charge. What have I said there was? I suppose it was pride on my part that made me deny his claims. A good writer borrows. A great writer steals. I was probably overreaching, trying to be too great. I've changed my approach some since then, and try not to draw too deeply from any particular well. <laughs> You're putting us on. A writer of your stature might get away with that kind of thing on a short article, but in a career as long as yours, you'd have run out of places to bury the bodies years ago. And you worked so closely with Bean. Didn't you poach him? Uh, pardon? From Random House, wasn't it? He had a two-book deal and only ever turned in Finding Darwin. Didn't you steal him away and have him writing for you? Ah, yeah, I did. Contracts, you know. They're just paper. Blood is thicker than water, and we're family in the end. Whatever happened to Bean? Our association ended, and I believe he's upstate somewhere, working on whatever is next for him. So, you think your friendship with Bean justifies plagiarism? Well... Not plagiarism, really, but, as Hume pointed out, all ideas come from the collision of two old ideas. What I do is more... Dinner, sir, and madams. Oh, good. I'm starved. It smells amazing. Then let's sit. Now, you were saying about ideas being... Ah, no. No business over dinner. There's time for that later. We'll talk over wine in the study. Well, that was a lovely dinner. And this is a fine wine. Is it Chianti? Butler tells me it's something Tuscan, sangue e budella, I think. I don't drink wine. Or anything else, really. I used to have a problem with drinking, so I tend to avoid it. But this room, 
If word got out that you were as eccentric as this... I don't consider it eccentric, really. It has a practical aspect. Research, really. This is quite a collection, though. Are those masks African? Polynesian? Central Asia, mostly. Most of the fetishes are African, and so are some of the ritual knives. It's not a very focused collection, geographically. But there is a theme here. Ha <laughs> ha! You are quick? Quite right. Welcome to my collection of black magic. Oh, we should probably head out soon. I don't want to rush things, but it's getting late and uh, we've got to get back. Nonsense. You can stay here. I have plenty of room. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll just step out and powder my nose, if I may. Of course. It's down that hall there. Hurry back, Liz. These books, though... I've spent a lot of time and money learning about the occult. I've made some enemies. I've alienated a lot of people. <laughs> Kept a lot of secrets. My world is laid bare before you. Well, let's talk about family, then. The literary world is my family, Regina. You, Liz, the rest. Your real family. You must have come from somewhere. I don't normally talk about them, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you a story instead. It's a truth story. Not exactly true, but true enough. Oh, a story from the master. Are you familiar at all with Serbia? I mean, I know generally where it is. My father was an American diplomat, living in Paris between the wars. He fell in love there with a duchess. She was popular and fickle, and he felt he had no chance to win her. So in desperation, he took a post with a Moldovan ambassador. It was a prestigious post but the details would be as boring to you as they are useless. On the evening of his departure, he went to see the Duchess. She seemed impressed and presented him with a cross as a pledge of friendship. That seems encouraging. He was encouraged, and he left to travel to Moldova. In Serbia, one evening, he came upon a small village, the name of which would be of no interest to you. The village was in despair, but he was greeted by a young man, a potter's son, who welcomed him and explained what had happened. The man's father, ten days ago, set off in the evening. Taking his pistol from the wall, set off to the hills to hunt for a bandit. The potter told his sons and daughter, if he did not return within ten days, to hold a mass for the repose of his soul, because the bandits killed him. But if he were to return after that ten days, to immediately drive an aspen stake through the heart, because that would mean he had become a damned ghoul, a wurdulak, and would suck the lifeblood of the village. Verdulak? A kind of vampire. The sons and daughter begged the potter not to go, but he was a firm and stoic man, and he left. The day my father arrived was the tenth day, and the potter's children had given up hope. My father sat with the potter's two sons, Georgi, Piotr, and their older sister, Zdenka around a table, and ate a breakfast of cheese curds and keovape. The mood was dreary, and everyone tended to turn their gaze toward the road to the hills. My father, though, took an interest in the woman, Jedenka, who looked like the Duchess to him. He found himself infatuated with her, and she seemed to be interested in him, although the spell was broken when Georgi interjected, What time did the old man leave? he asked. Why does he call him old man? When Serbians are afraid someone is a vampire, they don't say his name. 
for fear of calling him from the grave. Jadenka told him the potter left at eight and that it was half past seven. And so they sat in silence for half an hour, my father quietly thinking about Jadenka and she and the brothers thinking about the old potter. From up a hill, the bell of an old monastery struck eight and a figure appeared on the road. The potter? All the people waiting cheered, except Georgi, a serious-minded fellow. He said, but hasn't it been ten days? Isn't it too late? And that put a damper on the rest of them. The figure on the road came into view, an old man with white hair, leaning on a stick. His eyes were dull and sunken. His face was pale. He was bleeding from a wound in his chest. When Georgi tried to help him, the old potter pushed him away. He said he had been successful, and he and Piotr hung the severed head of the bandit on a pike over the door of the potter's house. The people were glad that he had been successful, clearing the road of bandits, although the potter's face looked as pale as the head. He sat with the family at the table, but refused to eat. That night, my father slept in Jadenka's house. They sat up, talking, into the night. He... Well, he succumbed to her charms, I suppose. There's no shortage of polite ways to put it. <sighs> but as he lay in her arms that night, he saw the old potter's face against the window, looking like the face of death. My father jumped up and ran. He grabbed whatever he could, jumped on his horse, and put that village behind him. Mm, sleepy. Well... That's to be expected. You had a big dinner, and the wine is drugged. Ah, you're awake. Why can't I move? Well, I had to tie you to the chair, you see. This next part isn't going to be pretty, but I'm afraid it's necessary. It's necessary to tie my hand down? What is all that? Carving tools? It is. You were asking about plagiarism. Here's a question for you. Is it plagiarism if I bind the artist's soul to mine? If the spell requires that I fashion a writing instrument from her bones after I eat her flesh? That's the practical application of my black magic paraphernalia collection, you see. What? But why me? Why me? You're an unknown voice. After that business with Bean and Stahl, I have to be more careful... You have nothing but potential. Where's Barton? She'll come back. I'm afraid your colleague has left you here. She climbed out the bathroom window while we were talking and took the car back to the city. She'll go back to work at the Times and you'll breach your contract, moving up as the protege of George Gorsha. Then, after a few novels down the road, you'll disappear and nobody will remember you. <laughs> but, but why... My father came back through that village six months later. He found Jadenka there, very pregnant, and apparently thirsting for blood. You see, the curious thing about a Wurdulak, it prefers to feed on its family and friends. The old potter, Gorka, was attacked by the Wurdulak there in the woods and came back a monster. And you, Regina, you're my family, and I've developed a taste for journalism. 
And that's... that's the pen? It is the very one. If you see here on the side, Gorcha carved the name Regina McCoy, left ring. I believe this one was used to write a story called The Gleaner of Horrible Bits. Uh, perhaps not the subtlest title, but one does get a feeling for the content. I read that George Gorcha died in mysterious circumstances. Like last year, how... How did you... How did you get the pen? Uh, am I a cannibal sorcerer, do you mean? <laughs> I purchased it from his butler. Most of his collection was trash for tourists, but this was truly potent. So the butler did it? Seriously? Was? Ah, ach, no. Clever, though. Uh, no, Herr Gorcha read widely, but not deeply. One soul, bound in darkness and afraid, is easily overwhelmed. Even two can be held in bondage by a strong enough will. But three, three is always powerful. You might say Mr. Gorcha bit off more than he could chew. <laughs> I think I need to go now. It's, it's late. Very well. I will return this to my cabinet. Perhaps you can visit me on another night, and I can share another story from my cabinet of curiosities. Good night, and Shana Traum. Dr. Geis' Cabinet of Curiosities, The Ivory Pen, is presented with Nora Pirsch as McCoy, Heron Derive as Gorcha, and Phoebe Green as Barton. Chad Warren was Pringle, and Katie Dalton was the shopper. As always, Craig York is Dr. Geist. Music by Ben Gibbs. This episode was recorded by Seth Gibbs and Jimmy Wildcat at Sweetheart Studios in beautiful downtown Austin, Texas. The script was written by Craig York and Ben Gibbs and contains an adaptation of a story by Alexei Tolstoy. 